Well, like I mentioned earlier in the service, Vince and I just got in last night from a week-long adventure in the great states of Indiana and Ohio. Ooh. (laughs) Nobody cheered for that. I know. It doesn't sound very exciting. One of my friends I saw on Facebook last night is in Cancun this week. That seems like a more likely spot for a vacation. That's a little bit more what we think of when we think about a magical vacation spot. But we had a good reason to be just a little bit north of here. Um, As I mentioned, the Vineyard USA, the national conference, was happening in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, Vince and I left a couple days early. We left on Friday, and we hung out at Indiana Dunes State Park, um, which is on the shores of Lake Michigan, and it is a beautiful place. It was fantastic to be there. It's important to sometimes take a break because everything works better if you unplug it once in a while, even me. But Monday through Thursday, we gathered with roughly half the leaders of the American Vineyard Churches. You guys know Vineyard's an international movement, so it's not just us in the, in the United States, but it was our Vineyard USA conference. And they're having it in two locations, same conference, two locations, just to make travel easier for people. Um, So we were with about half of the leaders. The other half is happening in Denver, and that's going to be Monday through Thursday this coming week, which is important for you guys to know because this is the week that they're going to live stream. I guess they didn't want any spoilers for those of them that are going to Denver, Um, but we're going to like blast out that link in all of the, the team groups and on Facebook and stuff. And if you can make time and space to watch some of those sessions, I would highly recommend that you do so. It was really incredible. I wish that I could have put every single one of you in my pocket and brought you with me. I wish that everyone could have been there to be in a room full of hundreds of people who are passionate about spreading the kingdom of God to everyone. They're people who are passionate about our vineyard values, values like loving God and loving people, caring for the poor and the broken. We, we talked to people. We heard stories. These are people who have given their lives. They have sacrificed their time and their treasures. One of the speakers uh, spent 10 years and a considerable amount of money earning a Ph.D. in physics. Chucked it all to be a pastor and follow Jesus. They're people who have sacrificed to be a part of what our movement has been and what it will continue to be in the future. We want to be a part of this odd but beautiful tribe of people. We just want to see our lives like we saw this morning, and we just want to see the lives of those around us marked by the presence of God. If I had to summarize the vineyard in a nutshell, it would be that. A people who are marked by the presence of God. And that has all kinds of implications, doesn't it? I had conversations with old friends, people that I had met before, some that I had only exchanged emails with. I met new people. I heard amazing spirit-infused preaching, the kind of preaching that makes you want to like stand up and cheer, also weep with just sometimes joy, sometimes conviction. And generally, 
just kind of stand up a little bit straighter and square my shoulders and lift my head and resolve to keep fighting the good fight of doing what it takes to make our little corner of the world look a little bit more like Jesus wants it to look. There's always a little bit of a reflective tone at these national conferences. And so I did my share of reflecting, you know, the people that are reminiscing about experience that the experiences they've had together, things like that. So I did my share of reflecting and I thought about the first time that I ever went to any kind of vineyard conference. It was, um, it was a weekend deal. It was just up in St. Louis, a Friday night, Saturday day. Uh, it was at the Hope Vineyard, which is one of our one of our sister vineyards here in Missouri. There's two vineyards in St. Louis, one in Springfield, and then there's us. But the first time that I went, um, Vince and I, we like really reluctantly over a period of an embarrassing number of years edged into leadership. We sat on the back row and like frowned at everybody that asked us to do things for a long time. Um, But we'd been co-leading a life group for a while and so we were invited to join the group that was going up to St. Louis. And I was just starting to wrap my head around the fact that Vineyard wasn't just us. That it was like more than just our little local church here in Rolla. The person that was speaking at this little mini conference was Brenda Gatlin. She came all the way from Duluth, Minnesota to speak at the Hope Vineyard. Brenda and her husband, Michael Gatlin, they pastored the Vineyard Church in Duluth, Minnesota there. And it's one of the larger vineyards here in the United States, and I would say, you know, influential. And Michael is also the leader of, he's the director of Multiply Vineyard which is the church planting division of the vineyard. And, you know, just, we don't talk about that enough, and and that's my fault. But the vineyard, I don't know if you know this, is a church planting movement. Church planting is a value of ours. We're always supposed to be looking and thinking and praying about who among us might be being called, being prepared to start something fresh in a new location. And the vision and the value of that is because if we're talking about reaching unchurched people, sometimes it's easier, more effective to draw people into something that's fresh and new than it is to pull them into an existing church. And obviously we should be doing both, but I hope that makes sense. So anyway, um, even as small as we are, There have been three churches over the last 20 years that were planted out of the Rolla Vineyard. Three in 20 years out of this church. The the Springfield and Columbia met for a number of years. I think it was somewhere around 10. I'm not not super sure, 10, 12 years. And then they have since then uh, closed down. But the, the vineyard in Springfield planted out of Rolla, and they're still going strong. And then also Great River Vineyard in La Crosse, Wisconsin, was planted out of this church. And they are alive and well. That's a little bit of a sidebar, Um, but I talked about that to kind of highlight that Brenda Gatlin, I thought she was kind of a big deal. She's a big deal in the vineyard, and I was excited to hear what she had to say. And I was not disappointed. One of the things that she said in that conference, 
It changed the entire way that I thought, that I think. My entire way of thinking was changed during that conference. Because Brenda, I mean, she was, in fact, a big deal in the vineyard. And I, you know, you guys know, I say that tongue in cheek because we're not about a superstar, but she definitely was well known, influential. She got invited to speak on lots of occasions. She was at, at conferences and, and things like that. And then frequently taught at her own church, which today has uh, 1500 is their average attendance. So it's, it's no small setting. And what Brenda talked about at that conference, which was about the Holy Spirit and how to, how to minister, she talked about how intimidating public speaking was for her. And she talked about how intimidating it was to lead ministry time and to step into the, the things of the Holy Spirit. She described in complete authenticity the usual frequent occurrence of her hiding in a bathroom stall before a service, terrified, legs shaking with fear, sick to her stomach, questioning God, asking him, what the heck have you gotten me into? I don't want to do this. She talked about stepping out to pray for strangers in the street ministry that she led. It was, and, and in a, a service that they had, that they had prayer ministry for people who needed healing physically and emotionally. It was called Unchained. I'm not sure if they're still doing that, but she led that service and how, how scary that felt. She said, it never gets easier. And she described, this was the kicker, she described her go-to prayer in those moments when she was hiding in the bathroom stall, trying not to throw up. Here was her prayer. God, if you don't show up, I'm screwed. God, if you don't show up, I am screwed. And that was her prayer. And when she said that, I can't even describe to you what happened to me. Everything in my brain just flipped upside down, completely upside down. It completely changed my thinking. Because if she felt that level of anxiety, Brenda Gatlin, the big deal, if she felt that level of anxiety and if she could be used by God in the capacity in which she was being used, both in ministry and in leadership in our movement, then maybe there was hope for someone like me. Maybe. Maybe God would show up for me too. Maybe I wasn't disqualified. Maybe the calling that was stirring in my heart, that might be real. Maybe it didn't depend on my aptitude but maybe it depended on my dependence on God. Maybe. Now in that moment at that conference all of those years ago, I was practicing what the Bible calls repentance. 
Repentance means to turn around, to go a different way, to change one's mind. I was changing my mind. Or rather, a better way to say it is that I was allowing my mind to be changed by the Holy Spirit. I repented of the idea that because of my personality, because of my introverted nature, my aversion to being the center of attention, which is pretty deeply hardwired into me. You guys know Vince and I got married at the courthouse because I could not stand the idea of being a bride and having every eye in the room look at me. I have an aversion to being the center of attention. But I changed my mind. I repented of the idea that those things could hinder me from being everything that God intended me to be. Repent. Repent is a word that tends to come with a lot of baggage for many of us especially if we grew up in church, especially if we grew up in a little bit more of a a rigid framework of church. Repentance has a lot of baggage. It is a word that is frequently used to shame people. It can be found scribbled in angry letters on the signs that the so-called preachers that stand on the street corners and shout at people. It's on their signs. And it is dispatched like a slap in the face to anyone who is behaving badly. You need to repent. The wagging finger and a scowl. So maybe some of us who understand how damaging and ineffective it is when it's used that way as that approach to spiritual formation, which is super unhelpful, Maybe some of us who understand that we, we shy away from using the word repent because of all the baggage. But the truth is that the mechanism of repentance is a gift from God. It is a gift. It is a tool. It is a really, really effective tool. It helps us allow ourselves to be brought into alignment with who God made us to be. Repentance, a change of mind, will set us free. Several weeks ago, we talked about Jesus' baptism. We talked about God's affirmation of his identity as a beloved son and that affirmation of how that that knowledge of who he was, how that sustained him during that period of temptation in the wilderness by Satan. Right after those things happened, Jesus began his public ministry. And the introduction to his public ministry in Matthew chapter 4 is beautiful. And I want to look at that together today. So Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 13. 
Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Verse 14, to fulfill, why did he do this? He did this to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Now the Old Testament is full of prophecy. Many of you know this, that that is full of foretelling of what the circumstances surrounding the coming of the Messiah would be. So frequently the gospel writers refer back to these things and they say, look, see, it's him because this is what it said and this is what happened. So this is what this is saying now. This, this next passage is, is a throwback to the book of Isaiah. Verse 15 says, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. In verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Isn't that beautiful? Repentance is a gift. It is not a punishment. When heaven comes near, the light bulb comes on. The great light empowers us to change our minds. Jesus goes on in Matthew 4 to call the first set of his disciples. And he tells them in that passage that he will make them fishers of men. Because the dawning of this great light, the gift of repentance, it will take more than one person to spread the good news. And so once Peter, Andrew, James, and John were in tow, here's what they did. Verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. They brought him those suffering severe pain the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan, large crowds followed him. Large crowds followed him. Are you kidding me? Of course they did. The kingdom coming near sounds amazing. Amazing. The good news of the kingdom. Good news. Repent. Change your mind. Not like when you were a kid and you had to like apologize to a sibling because you shoved them or something like that. Oh no, I don't want to be in trouble. 
I don't want to be in trouble, so even though I don't really mean it, I'll mumble out the most insincere apology ever just to avoid punishment. Why is that our picture of God? Why do we think he's always standing around with his hand on his hip, rolling his eyes at us? Look, look at this passage. Look at what Jesus is saying. Change your mind about to these people. He's saying, I have come near and you are no longer stuck in your suffering. You are no longer going to be robbed of the wholeness that God has in mind for you. You are going to be free. So change your mind. All you broken, poor, oppressed people. I have healing for you. I have freedom for you. I have everything you need. You're not stuck anymore. Change your mind. Things can be different and they will be different. Repent. That voice all those years ago That voice calling the people of Israel is the same voice, the very same voice that I heard at that first Vineyard Conference that helped me change my mind. It's the same voice that I've heard a million times before that and a million times since. Like when I was a teenager and I was full of rage and pain because of the trauma that I had experienced, because of the abuse that I had suffered. And so I engaged in every kind of self-destructive behavior that you can imagine. And the voice of the Holy Spirit came to say to me, Marie, you aren't stuck there. You're not stuck here. You are so much more valuable than you know. There is more to you than what's been done to you. Won't you change your mind about how you're treating yourself? Won't you change your mind? And the light dawned. Like when I was in my 20s and I struggled with prayer. It was the hardest thing. I struggled with prayer because I, I really honestly, I didn't feel like God cared about my feelings. I didn't think he wanted to hear anything I had to say. And, and one day I sat in a church service listening to the call from the front. And the instruction was, ask God for something you need right now. And I couldn't. I could not. And the voice of the Holy Spirit came to say, Marie, you aren't stuck here. You believe that God is like your earthly father, who is unconcerned and unavailable because of his own brokenness. But your heavenly father is nothing like that. God longs for you to be close to him, to let him in, And for you to share your heart with him. Won't you change your mind about trusting him not to ignore you 
or abandon you. And the light dawned. Like when I was in my 30s and I experienced a very painful breakup of a really, really close and intimate friendship. I mean, this was my two peas in a pod person, someone that knew things about me that no one else knew. And suddenly that person became like an enemy to me, lashing out, saying things that cut me to my my core. And I was so angry and bitter that I couldn't function. And the voice of the Holy Spirit came to say, Marie, you're not stuck here. Yes, you have been hurt. But the root of bitterness that you are allowing to grow will soon choke your heart. Your requests for prayer are bordering on gossip. The grudge you are holding only weighs you down. God's justice and his mercy can be trusted. Won't you change your mind about clinging to what you believe are your rights and allow God to set you free as you choose to forgive? And that was a tough one. But the light dawned. It happened earlier this year, after a season that for me lasted far too long. When in my grief, I was like Lot's wife, looking back on everything our church has suffered and lost. And the voice of the Holy Spirit came to say, Marie, you are not stuck here. Grief is an appropriate response to loss, but regret can rob you of your perspective. Won't you change your mind about always looking back and focus on the hope and the future that I am inviting you and this church into? And the light dawned. The light dawned. And it happened to me multiple times this week as I attended myself toward that voice of the Holy Spirit. As I received that voice through people who prayed for me. As I tilted my head to catch the whisper. God, what would you have to say to me? What do you have to say to me? Is there anything that I need to repent of? I used to ask that question very differently. Is there anything... I need to repent of any way that I am being invited to change my mind. Maybe about who you are. Kind. Good. Trustworthy. Powerful. Maybe I'm being invited to change my mind about who I am. 
accepted, loved, treasured, capable, enough. Listen, God loves us exactly as we are. Just exactly as we are. That is a powerful and precious truth. And you will never hear me contradict that. God loves us exactly the way we are. But sometimes I think that we camp out so much in that truth because it is so beautiful and it is so precious and it is necessary to know to the core of your being that it's true in order for anything else to take place. It is foundational. But we camp out in that truth so much that we, we can forget how beautiful it is when he changes us. He offers us the tool of repentance, not because we are bad, but because we are bound. And he will cradle us in his arms while we are wrapped up in our chains. But he longs to see us free and running through the fields of grace. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And that is a precious truth and a precious gift as well.